As you know, we are entrenched in podcasts. The thing I love about podcasting the most is that the possibilities are endless. There is so much more being offered today by podcasts beyond news, true crime, and just celebrity culture. One show in particular that I love is Cast Party, a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I, I know what you're thinking. Dungeons and Dragons? Seriously? Yes, absolutely. The Cast Party Dungeon and Dragons podcast is a hilarious improvisational show told through the world of D&D. It's very unique, it's very creative, and it's just a blast. Come along for the journey and thrust into the world of Dungeons and Dragons told through the eyes of four cast members from a Hollywood film set. Follow along as an ensemble of well-casted actors triumph through a gripping and hilarious story told through the medium of the classic Dungeons and Dragons Dungeon Master device. If you're anything like me and enjoy improvisational humor and entertaining storytelling executed in a well-polished production, this is a schmush show for you. Go check it out right now, Cast Party, a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. You will thank me later. Download it today on iTunes, Spotify, or a variety of other platforms where you go to get your podcasts. Tim, my brother, we are back talking podcasts, man. And check us out. We got a video component throwing down to our usual audio only audio, audio only format. So, dude, you and I have to look our uh, most handsomest as possible. How you doing, man? Doing well. Uh, I, I did skip hair and makeup today, so uh, <laughs> just just throwing that one out there. It's all good, man. We'll go uh, gruff and, and rumble style. So, dude, we're going to be talking about Adam Carolla recently returned. I think this is the second time on the Megyn Kelly show. So this was number 63 for Megyn Kelly, episode number 63. I think it was published this past Friday, which we put it around Friday, February the 12th, I think if I have the date right. The subject title of the episode was Adam Carolla on COVID Madness, AOC, and whether he'll leave California. I think the bulk of this really was around COVID and everything that's going on, especially in his state of California and schools. So, dude, I'll I'll start with you on the school piece. I'm really torn on this, um, and I think I might be lucky in the sense that my son has been back on a campus. He's in uh, elementary school since uh, October. Now, they've had some time in and out where there's been situations, but I think his school has been managing it brilliantly. Uh, it is a private school, not... I can't afford a private school, but I won't bore the listeners with why you know he gets to go there. But we're, we're grateful that he gets to go to a private school. But anyway, um, so I think my perception might be skewed a little bit. And if my son has been, let's say, sort of like locked out of returning back from school, dating back to last March, I might be more fired up and in the realm of where Adam Carolla is on all of this. So I I, I want to acknowledge that first and foremost. My kid has been lucky enough to be back uh, on campus since October. Um, but I've always said since the beginning of this pandemic that people can feel how they need to feel. They can process this if they're afraid, if they don't care, whatever it is. This is such a bizarre once in a century event 
that we as humans, um, I don't even know if we're equipped emotionally on how to deal with much of this. And I really try and give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, and I think for me, Corolla just goes a little too hard on the snark, almost mean spirited side of things and trying to make his point where Megan Kelly is just as firm and resolute in her beliefs. But I think she stopped short of, of attacking people's with like name calling and idiots and cowards and all that kind of, I don't know. So that's a long preamble, Tim. What was your gut reaction to the content around the, the COVID discussion in particular? Let's focus on the school stuff first. So, yeah, I mean, Adam Carolla, if you listen to his uh, regular show, the Adam Carolla podcast, I mean, he, he's been pretty highly critical of teachers and teachers unions in, in the past. Uh, so this comes as, as no surprise to me uh, that especially, you know, um, that there's teachers unions throughout the United States that are kind of, you know, not not wanting to go back to school um, personally. Uh, you know, my personal situation is uh, my kids started going back to school at the end of last year, December, and um and they've done way better. Like um, for one of one of my kids, his grades have substantially increased uh, now that he's going four and five days a week as opposed to all virtual. So, you know, I, I think just from an anecdotal standpoint, kids being in school is definitely a better situation for their education totally uh, right. than, than not being at school. Dude, um, real and quick, on, and putting education aside, just for mental health and socialization, like just – normalities and just mental well-being and all that stuff. I mean, it's just clearly last spring, um, it was not a good place for our kids when they were at home for three months straight. It was just not a good place. No, I noticed uh, the, the difference immediately when, when my kids started interacting. Uh, once we got into the summertime uh, with interacting with their friends and other kids, it was a night and day difference just in their overall all demeanor. So the, there's certainly an impact of, of being isolated. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, I think people should have the choice, you know, if, if you are in an age bracket that doesn't kind of fit the, you know, the COVID profile, I, I don't begrudge you for, for not wanting to expose your, I think people should have that freedom. I, I think the general take is, is you have these teachers unions, these groups that are making widespread decisions for for everyone. And, you know, if there's teachers that want to go back and there's students that want to go back and the science is saying that, you know, certain age groups are okay to go back. uh, I think parents are getting frustrated that some, you know, you're being held hostage by maybe your local teachers unions that your kids can't go back. And I, I think that's kind of where the crux of the criticism is coming in. Yeah. And I think for me, I'm at a place where I think the default mode should be back, but there should be some mechanism for opting out on not the teachers unions or the NFL, but all those NFL players had the the option to opt out, sit out the season, but protect whatever um, bargaining rights, whatever they had for the following season after that. And I think for teachers, if someone is legitimately afraid and has concerns, maybe there's pre-existing conditions, whatever, they should be able to sit out. But I also feel the default mode should be everyone back. And then you you pick and choose and identify the folks that need to be protected and held back or whatever. And they should be able to do that without really being penalized. But then the question is, well, 
what do you do with pay? And and they're in a union, so they want to sit out and not go back. Well, then clearly, I don't know. I see that's the kind of stuff for me just being a dude in the basement. I can't even begin to wrap my head around that stuff. Right. And, you know, I think there's some fair criticisms that, you know, perhaps, you know, there's there's a, you know, politicalization going on with going back. You know, I think there's some coincidental timing where teachers started going back after the November election. And, you know, people are questioning the timing of that. What was it political? And, you know, I think it's pretty well documented Now you know, the Megyn Kelly show in general and Adam Carolla, uh, they definitely lean right. So, uh, I, you know, just to put that disclaimer out there, that they're certainly throughout this whole podcast is that they're very they're coming from the point of view of a conservative right leaning point of view. So that that's heavy uh, throughout the podcast. But, you know, teachers unions traditionally uh, and I, like I said, I think it's well documented, you know, they support Democrat politicians heavily. So you got taxpayers paying the teachers' salaries, and then a portion of your tax dollars is going to fund Democrat politicians' campaigns. So I, I think there's a frustration. And uh, I, I'm going to play a clip from the show that uh, Adam Carolla ma- makes this point. Um, and, you know, and again, it's Adam Carolla making the point uh, on, on this podcast. People that are furthest to the left are the teachers, and those are the teachers that are teaching your kid every day. So what kind of politics do you think your kids are getting by the super scared leftists who won't go back into a classroom? What, 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 what else, pray tell, may, may they be teaching your kids about the 1619 Project or any, any of this? This is a tell. This is a tell for who they are and what their politics are. So I, I think Corolla points out that, you know, you have a lot of teachers that that are leaning left and you know this may have something to do with why they're not they don't you know aren't going back but i think he does take it a step a t- step too far because in this clip he is accusing teachers of perhaps indoctrinating kids in some you know left-wing dogma so that that part, I think, you know maybe perhaps he took it too far with that criticism well dude and even forget parsing out the specific Val that validity of some of his points or not. Just what about I want to bring it back to sort of his approach in making his points. And at a certain point, when are you just being a dick? Um, and not really adding constructively to trying to point things out or, or make a point. And Tim, I always appreciate and respect about you. You and I are kind of on opposite sides of the political spectrum, but you are always open to seeking to understand other folks. And when you make points or you make critiques, it's about ideas and never about people themselves. And I, I feel like, and there's even times where I, I agreed with actually a good bit of the COVID piece of their discussion today, even as a socially progressive left-leaning dude, there's a lot of it that I thought was valid, but he just felt like, Again, for lack of a better word, such a dick in how's he how he's presenting it that it almost loses the impact of proving the point because he's just kind of name calling and, and belittling the conversation down to just like that kind of uh, a posture. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I think overall, like I just wish the discourse in in this country and just in general, we, we could get back to just having good faith discussion, uh, yeah, discussions and not, you know, 
impugning each other's motives. And I agree, Corolla impugns the motives of, of teachers here, uh, which doesn't help the situation. It puts people on the defensive and, you know, it doesn't move the, the ball forward. But I, I guess, you know, there's a lot of frustration out there. And when you're frustrated, you tend to uh, kind of go down that path. I get it. Yeah. And listen, no doubt about it. But to me, he's a, a, a dude with some profile who I think could lend an an opposite perspective or an alternative perspective that could get people's attention, just like he could get mine as a left-leaning dude. I think there's some validity to what he says. And to me, he can't pull the humor card here because there wasn't really anything humorous. Like he had some funny lines mixed in, but the majority of what he was doing was just kind of like angrily ranting. Whereas a Dave Chappelle in his stand-up routine has some really interesting perspectives that are, you know, a, a cut against the grain, but he's so subtle and so funny in how he introduced. Now it's not fair to compare Corolla to like perhaps one of the best comics going these days, but I'm just trying to prove the point that I don't even think Corolla could claim comedic um, license in what he was doing today. It just seemed bitter to me. Yeah, and I think it's also him kind of maybe knowing the audience, right? I mean, I don't think, you know, it's mostly right-leaning folks probably listening to Megyn Kelly, and, you know, he's coming at it from that perspective. But I agree that that approach isn't going to persuade anyone for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. So I know um, some of the other topics these guys got into a little bit. They talked about the story of the uh, the New York Times uh, employee who was, I, I think they said, a 40-year employee. Did I hear that right? He was on staff for 40 years. Did an idiotic thing, I think, by anyone's account. But So basically, this guy was on a college campus, I believe, and a student asked him about another student. Should this student get in trouble for using the N-word, the derogatory term that we all know. Um, And the guy in relaying his answer had some questions, I guess, for that student. Like, hey, did they use the word like this or were they saying it like this? But he actually said the word in seeking the clarification for him to give his feedback and answer to the student. And initially, if I'm recalling the story right, the New York Times – was supportive of him saying, Hey, there's context, context and intent here. He was actually seeking to give an answer to something that was asked of him, but then 150, uh, writers, whatever their positions are, 150 staff members of the New York times came out and signed this thing and ended up getting the dude, uh, axed. And, um, I hadn't even heard that story until these guys were talking about that today. And my goodness, I mean, it's nuts. Um, I, I don't know. Like, what are your, what's your gut reaction to all that? And how do you think these guys handled that piece of the conversation today? So, yeah, I think it's a good, another good example. I mean, I, when I listen to some of my political podcasts, uh, I hear an example of victims of cancel culture. O- almost on a daily basis, someone's getting canceled. So I just think the overarching theme of cancel culture is, is a big problem. Uh, I, I don't like it, and it's a snowball that has just gained just out of control momentum in, in our society. So uh, I, I'm not a fan. So, but in this particular case, right, I, I think the, the, it all boils down to intent, right? So the New York Times staffers 
uh, are, are claiming that, you know, uh, intent is irrelevant in this case because people were still offended regardless of intent. And I, I think that's a quasi-legitimate position, right? Because in my uh, sexual harassment training at some of my corporate gigs, um, you know, if someone is uh, uh, perceives it as, as being harassment, even though your intent is not to harass it, it could still be harassment. So the perception or, or if someone's feelings uh, are hurt, the damage is still done. But if your intent wasn't to hurt their feelings, so I, I think intent needs to be weighed, even though it's not the, the catch-all. If you didn't intend to offend someone, but you still did, there's still damage done. So I, I think in this in this case of the New York Times reporter, uh, I think an apology w- would be a sufficient solution, like acknowledgement, hey, I used the word, I shouldn't have used the word, uh, I'm sorry that, you know, it was offensive, and, you know, I learned from the situation, and, you know, can we move on? I, I think that would be an appropriate rem- remedy, but you can't you can't apologize to the mob and there's no coming back from cancel culture. And, and I, I think that's a big problem in, in this uh, society. Can I just ask this, though, Tim, because I'm just curious, like, who the hell doesn't know just not to go there and, and utter that word? Like, how would that even just come out of his mouth? I do have to scratch my head a little bit at that. But yeah, but it, uh, I, I think it was like ten years ago, though, man. I, you know, oh, I so, thought this all just recently happened. No, this was like ten years ago. Um, he was like reprimanded by the New York Times, but this all came back recently because of you know oh, wow. uh, the increasingly just you know insane climate at the New York Times and their staff. Let me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to play a clip on on Corolla's take on this. You know, it's funny. You know, they used to say, like, number one, fear, you know, snakes, number two, public speaking, you know, number three, spiders. But it's really being shamed. Evidently, that's almost every human being's greatest fear, because that's the only explanation for why everyone's going along with this. So I I think Corolla is making the point that, you know, the cancel culture mob are, are preying on the fact that that people are are really afraid to be shamed and to be uh, viewed um, in the in the village square or the public square as being a bad person, uh, especially with the um, invention of social media. You know, they don't want to be portrayed a, as the bad guy. So people are are afraid to really speak out, and I, I think it's a real thing. People do have that fear in the back of their mind of of being shamed on social media. And I think Kelly also makes a point, not only are they, uh, you know, afraid to speak out, but people are latching themselves onto those causes, like getting this guy fired to give themselves almost preemptive cover. It's almost a move where they may not even think it's worthy of the guy being let go, but they're going to jump onto that bandwagon just to kind of stay safe amongst the the populace of the group think in that situation, which again is... Um, it's, it's a shame, especially at an institution of journalism and research. And you would think there would be just this space and air to have nuanced discussions and all that. But it, it sounds like that's just out the window. Yeah. And, you know, to go back to your point, I mean, I, I agree that that word just, you know, you shouldn't. It's, it's a word that just probably doesn't even have context. It, it's so weaponized and, and so vitriolic that. Yeah. It's hard to have context. Um, 
But I mean, you know, I, I also think someone's, you know, track record should also be weighed. Like everyone's entitled to make a mistake, especially like, uh, you know, uh, someone says like you have like a, a moral bank account. Like if you have, you know, decades of putting being a good dude in in your savings account and you, you slip up and, and be, you know, and are a bad dude once like it should, the net effect should be you still should come out on the positive end of that ledger. So I, I do believe in that. Yeah, and there was another example of sort of the opposite end of of cancel culture a little bit um, in which Van Jones, a big political commentary guy, uh, I think worked in some administrations like the Obama administration, who has really been kind of stepping out and trying to go across the aisle. A big thing for him has been prison reform, and he's been partnering, I want to say, with one of Trump's kids on a big prison reform initiative to get people out of uh, incarceration. And they played uh, Megan and, and Adam Carolla, Megan Kelly and Carolla, on the episode, a clip of Van Jones appearing on The View, and the women from The View just absolutely eviscerating him for even just kind of being seen in public with anyone from the Republican Party. And it it really, to me, was um, that in in a nutshell is the shame of where we're at in the world today, Um, because Van Jones is trying to do good in the world out there. And really, for any significant platform or movement to take uh, hold, you do have to have some sort of across the aisle symbiotic relationship going on there to get anything of significance done. And um, it was almost just, um, they didn't even want to have a discussion with him. It was like, they were there to make a point to put him on notice, be damned what he had to say in response to it, basically calling him almost like a sellout, like the black community has lost confidence and faith. And yet I just, it was really upsetting to hear that. Yeah. And, you know, I I think that sort of mentality was pervasive over the last four years. I mean, you know, regardless of what you think of Trump, you know, he's trying to just use the the hand that he was dealt to do some good. And, uh, you know, so you're going to throw out the the baby with the bathwater just because, you know, you have a hatred for for a guy or or your guy's not in office. I, I just think is just utterly insane. But Van Jones, um, I don't know if you heard, he was on Bill Maher's show recently and um, the whole recall of Gavin Newsom, they were talking about that. And a lot of Californians aren't aren't happy with this this situation, with the lockdowns, the schools. So there's a lot of criticism coming of Gavin Newsom from the left and and the right, obviously. But uh, Adam Carolla was very critical of Van Jones because he dismissed um, people being upset with Gavin Newsom as a QAnon conspiracy so I, I don't know what information he has to back that up, but uh, that that did come from uh, Van Jones's mouth on the Bill Maher show. Yeah, and I think even Corolla made mention of that. Like that was a bit of a head scratch. But it was cool how Corolla talked about like uh, Van Jones and him have a relationship. He's appeared in one of his movies before, and Megan Kelly sounds like she's really tight with him as well. Right, but overall, I I, th- I totally agree with you. We, we need more people on both sides that are willing to reach out across the aisle, uh, you don't have to agree upon everything, but, you know, just to have your uh, arms crossed and just not willing to do anything just seems, I don't know any reason why that's, that's okay. And I, I think it is just absolutely pathetic for, 
for lack of a better description, same side people to to vilify one of their own tribal members, like for a left-leaning person to vilify another left because they're trying to get an initiative done with someone from the Republican. I mean, that, that kind of stuff is just um, – it, it's sad. It really is, but that's where we're at. So I know one of the other things they touched on briefly, Tim, and I even think you have a, a clip to touch on this too, was AOC – and uh, kind of what she's been all about as of late. And um, I don't know if you want to give your thoughts or play the clip first, and we can react to that after. Yeah, let me play the clip here. This is uh, Adam Carolla talking about AOC and um, the victimhood mentality. The victimhood thing has become the leader in the clubhouse when it comes to narcissism, whereas in the past it was about, well, here's, how many medals I've won and here's the dragons I've slayed. You know, now it's here. Who was the most scared? Whoever was the most scared (laughs) is going to get the most kudos. I don't know. Is that what you want in a leader? Like what if there was a war? The the, the general who was the most frightened, he would be the most highly decorated. So I I think Adam Carolla is criticizing the fact that there seems to be a tendency, especially from some of the, the people that see the world the same as AOC, um, as, you know, propping up victims as, you know, people you want to aspire to or propping up and, and, and having reverence for, for being a victim. And he's making the point in the past, we, we didn't do that. You know, we, we revered people who were brave. And, I, you know, I, I think it's all in the context of AOC describing uh, her situation w- with the Capitol riots, you know, her cowering in someone else's office and, you know, uh, being fearful of a security guard that was trying to help her. And, uh, you know, this is somehow supposed to be heroic. And it, it did turn out that she wasn't even in the Capitol building. She was in an adjacent building the whole time. So uh, I, I think, you know, she's being criticized for trying to score political points uh, because she's seen a- a- as a victim. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't really think some of that stuff was fair. And look, I don't uh, – I say I'm center-left, socially progressive, and I certainly don't align with everything that AOC um, is for. But I, I I don't know. Like to me, she's pretty tough. She fought her butt off as a, a self-made woman and is in Congress. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I, just even that in of itself – and just one other thing real quick – I don't think anyone can um, pass judgment on if anyone was fearful for their life in that situation with the Capitol building. And knowing what we know about how many off-duty officers and firemen and and things like that that were there and some of the guards taking selfies with those loons that were in the building, you know, for someone to say, I don't know that I could like trust the guard. I mean, I I don't know. Like I, I can't sit and call them weak for that because I didn't live that experience. And to me, I think she seems kind of tough as nails to have, you know, gone through and what she did with her life and put herself in the position she's in right now. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know that she's constantly playing the victimhood card. I, I hear her trying to fight for people that don't really have much representation in uh, Washington. Um, and again, I don't even necessarily align with much of what she says. I don't know that all the, the criticism is necessarily fair that gets heaped on her. Well, especially in that situation, like, you know, that there's a riot going on, you know, whether it's outside your building or a half a block away and you're a high profile person, um, you know, I I certainly don't. uh, I think it's definitely unfair. Um, 
to criticize AOC for being fearful at, at that time. But, you know, the one thing that I will criticize her for <laughs> and Mike's smiling is that, that, you know, she, she traffics in it, you know, she uses this, these kinds of moments um, and these crises for, for political gain. So, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I mean, dude, they all do that though, right? I mean, that's the entire DC arena is just full of people politicizing. You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to do a whataboutism. I guess I, I am, but like, that's all I see out of that whole crowd, you know? Right. And can we, uh, so whataboutism, I, you know, I've heard that a lot lately, and I, I, I get it, right? You know, um, but I think Ben Shapiro has made the point recently, like, you know, when we're comparing both sides, let let's agree on standards, you know, like like if it's bad for this person, then it should be bad for the other person. Yeah. And let's just agree on all the same standards and then we can we can move forward. Yeah, I th- I think that's a fair take, man. So dude, let's uh Put a bow on this one. I wonder, potentially, uh, I mean, Megyn Kelly's done short of uh, like 70 episodes. I think this was 63. I said, Kroll has been on there twice. I wonder if he'd be an interesting sort of semi-regular returning guest. I mean, to me, this was two episode appearances in a relatively short amount of time for him. They definitely have great chemistry together. Um, Corolla definitely just gets on and unloads. There's no doubt about it. Again, I thought some of it... Um, he kind of diluted his own points in the sort of the way he laid them out there and the name calling and, you know, calling people cowards and stuff. I, I can't get down with that. Um, but again, I always say I, I use a platform like Megan Kelly's show to challenge my own perspectives and thoughts. I certainly got that today. I found myself agreeing with uh, much of the stuff specific to the schools for certain, just didn't necessarily agree with how it was getting delivered by Corolla, I thought Kelly was a little more measured in her uh, firm critique of how things are being handled. But it was a really good listen. A good, I mean, those two are great together. Um, I, I enjoyed it, Tim. What are your parting shots on uh, Adam Corolla being back with Megan Kelly? So yeah, like I, I was trying to, you know, I, I'm trying to put myself in in the shoes of someone that you know doesn't align a hundred percent with the you know the political leanings and the worldview. And I you know I, I thought this, you know particular episode i was like wow man they're, they're really kind of just beating the drum of the right and they're they're really criticizing you know but i the megan kelly show in general like i think it's a great show because uh she has interesting get guests and i think it can be universally appreciated and you have said that too so um i think that's kind of the strength of this show and i she, she had a guest after corolla uh ion hersey who is an activist. She was like a former, like either um, Muslim refugee. And she reports on all those like Syrian uh, refugees that went to Europe, like in 2015 of the war and um, some of the problems that Europe are having. And I just thought it was a fascinating, interesting listen. Um, And it really kind of just guests like that uh, on the Megyn Kelly show that, that makes it a great show. And, you know, every once in a while, you're going to get a Corolla, you're going to get a Shapiro, you're going to get like a, one of the, the hard, you know, far right leaning guys on there. But uh, I think kudos to Megan Kelly overall, because uh, I think she's putting out really cool content um, that offers a unique perspective. 
and something that we probably need more of these days. Yeah, and listen, I want to hear the hard right stances. I do. I mean, there's times where I, I'm hearing things that potentially I could think are common sense and all that. So I, but more than anything, I just want to get myself out of my own, uh, you know, left leaning echo chamber. And this this show does that for me for certain. So yeah, I think well said in your part, Tim. Any uh, final shots just on life in general here, man? No, man, it's um, 2021 for a dude in the bros uh, is being gangbusters, man. So uh, I'm just looking forward to the spring and getting past February and this cold and this weather, man. But um, no, nah, man, onward and upward. Awesome, man. Well, dude, uh, it's been a pleasure tonight, Tim. Already looking forward to the next one. I'll talk to you soon, brother. Later, man. This episode of A Dude and a Bro podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Podcorn. As you guys know, we love listening to and talking about podcasts. As podcasters ourselves, we understand the time and energy that goes into getting the right equipment, finding the time to record, and just the daily grind of promoting the show. There are hard costs to building a show, and monetizing your work is a critical component of growth. Enter Podcorn who is disrupting the traditional and frankly outdated paths to sponsorships. Podcorn is a user-friendly marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing sponsorship opportunities such as host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. At podcorn.com, you can get started with a user-friendly interface where you can easily browse potential sponsors. Podcorn gives you the flexibility to collaborate with these sponsors and choose the right opportunity that fits the size and scope of your show, and you never give up any rights to your podcast. Click on the link in our show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities right now. We want to give a big shout out to Podcorn. Thanks to Podcorn, a dude and a bro can continue to focus our energy and efforts on creating content for you and talking about the podcasts we love. Go to www. Podcorn.com today to get started. That's www.podcorn.com. Later. We are a dude and a bro podcast show. We are entrenched in podcasts. We want to do for the world of podcasting what Siskel and Ebert did for movies back in the day. So we love doing reviews of our favorite podcasts. We love suggesting new shows to all the fine folks out there in the world. And then Tim and I love debating topics from the latest and greatest episodes of our favorite podcast shows. Hey guys, you would do us a huge favor if you could head over to podchaser.com. Podchaser is your one-stop shop for all things related to podcasts and your favorite podcast shows. Search a dude and a bro podcast show and then leave us a review. If you could take a moment to drop a few lines about what it is you enjoy about a dude and a bro podcast show over on the Podchaser site, we'd be eternally grateful for your support. Thanks so much, guys.